The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, you know, that's a guy who's been criticized for being lackadaisical and the beat goes on. You know, we've heard it all. And yet, you know, on the biggest stage, um, you know, he's come through. I've always said no one talks about teams that guys are on or organizations that guys are in. No one ever talks about that. It's always the player fault. And, you know, he's showing that I'm, I'm not far off when I say that. So, you know, it's it's great to see. Absolutely amazing to see him pick up his level of play. It's amazing to see it <clears throat> happen under the bright lights. Like, you don't know how guys can respond, you know, when they're asked to do what we're asking him to do at this stage in the season, in the playoffs, and you have the highest hopes, but he's he's stepping up, and that's only because of his approach and his attitude and uh, him just being a gamer. He's a fantastic two-way player. Uh, you don't win in the playoffs without guys like Wiggs. Um, he's, you know, we're basically mirroring uh, Doncic's minutes uh, so that Wiggs can stay on him. And um, he's another guy like Steph who uh, just never seems to get tired. He's in amazing shape. So Wiggs, it's been a brilliant year for him, and uh, it's continued in, in the postseason. You can instill a lot of doubt. Uh, we're, we're coming out and win this game, and we knew that. And so we came out with a certain intensity level and focus level that, you know, it would take to come on the road and, and still one. And, you know, we did that tonight. Now the mindset changes to, you know, coming out and taking care of our business this next game. But no one gets to the conference finals and quits. Never happens. Um, up 3-0, up 3-1, whatever. Uh, it, no one ever quits. And so... We're not expecting them to come out and quit. We're expecting them to come out, put their best foot forward. Ultimately, I think if we put our best foot forward, we give ourselves a chance to win the game. But being one win away from the finals means absolutely nothing. You know, it just means that. You have to win one more game, and that game isn't going to be easy. So we got to make sure we come in with an even better focus level than we did tonight, and I thought it was incredible. But closeout games are always the toughest. So we got to come out and win the game. They're not going to give it to us. Yeah, but doesn't it feel inevitable? Uh-huh. Bring it Don't out. Don't the Warriors just feel inevitable? I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's 3 0, and, you know, the Mavs are going to go quietly, and they can make it a series, and yada, yada, yada. But it just feels like. And, and really, Michael, we've been talking about this all season with the hot start that they got off to. Well, once Clay yeah. Thompson comes back, watch out. And then who saw Jordan Poole becoming arguably the most improved player in the league this year? And now they're grabbing the power stone and, and, and punching Luka Doncic. And that power stone being Andrew Wiggins, the second leading scorer in this series for the Golden State Warriors. It's like they just have so many options. They have different gears. We saw it in the Memphis series, the way they closed out pesky Memphis. We've seen it in this series, the way they once again overcame a 15-point-plus 
deficit. They just have a different gear. They have different tools in their bag that they can go to that nobody else can. They're outscoring uh, the, 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 uh, the Mavs by, by 10 points in the third quarter in this series. They've, they've won at least one road game and 26 straight series, an NBA record. They've won nine straight conference finals games. Michael, I can go on and on and on, but it just seems like here we are on the brink of exactly where we thought we would be, despite how many teams we tried to anoint as next in the Western Conference. Where did that bring us? Back to Golden State. Yeah, it's so fun. It's fun to watch. I, I, that's the word I want to use with these Golden State Warriors. Yeah, we thought we'd see it, Mike, but we didn't think we'd see it like this. And I'll start off with Andrew Wiggins, who everybody was talking about off the top when we just played that sound. Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be this going way back, way back to the Kansas days. In that draft, it was Wiggins, and it was Jabari Parker, and it was Joel Embiid, and it was going to be, hey, this guy, this guy Wiggins is going to be the next thing. And he just so happened, uh, he was on his way to Cleveland, and then LeBron James came back to Cleveland. So he winds up going from Cleveland, us and Nasty Dunk, uh, winds up going from Cleveland to Minnesota. And that's what Draymond Green was referencing. Why didn't he just say Minnesota? Just why didn't he just say, look, he, he went to a loser organization historically, and that kind of threw him off his path. We can't judge him based on what happened in Minnesota because a lot of people have been derailed by Minnesota. He didn't say that, but I'll say it for him. Andrew Wiggins is finally becoming the guy that we thought he might become eight years ago. It's been a long time, seven, eight years ago. Uh, when he came out of college, look, uh, I, I think he's got he's got great athletic ability. As Steve Kerr said, he's a two-way player, and now he's playing with players who know what they're doing, who's got who've got championship pedigrees, and he's rising to the occasion. I'm happy for him, and then I'm happy for some other parts in the team. You already mentioned Jordan Poole. It's just like a different. It's a championship team that the core is essentially the same, but the uh, the outer rings have changed and the outer rings are fascinating. Jordan Poole, Wiggins really stand out as those, and they got some young guys who are going to be there when the, when the champ when the dynasty continues. They got Mark some young guys it. who are going to be who are going to be major players hey, in the I'll, next I'll, couple I'll, of years. I'll throw you a fastball down the middle in a second, but I do want to say this about Wiggins. No, he's not the guy we thought he was going to be coming out of Kansas. Because the number one overall pick is not a role player. But the beauty of what we're seeing is that he doesn't have to be a generational player with these Golden State Warriors. Now, granted, he's only had two single-digit games in these playoffs. And like I mentioned, he's been the second-leading scorer for the Warriors in this in this particular series. But and he's an all-star. He he's, he's an, an all-star all starter. He's an all-star starter. <laughs> and he finished Luka Doncic last night. But no, I'm saying like he doesn't have to be the second coming of Scottie Pippen or whoever we thought he was going to be coming out of Kansas when he was drafted by Cleveland and LeBron decided he wasn't trying to wait for his development. He can be a guy that doesn't have to carry a scoring load, but just has to concentrate on locking in Luka. Or he can be a guy that you don't see coming scoring wise. But to your point about the Wiggins of the world, who still got some years left, depending on how long he stays in Golden State. But whether it's Kaminga, whether it's Moses Moody, whether it's Poole, whether it's the uh, injured at the moment, uh, Gary Payton II, they still have gotten nothing, next to nothing, from Jonathan Wiseman. 
So it's reminiscent. Right. I hope this isn't going too far because I know none of these players, I recognize that none of these players we just mentioned have ever been expected to be or maybe even could have been what the name I'm about to, I'm about to, what did I say? I didn't say James Wiseman. What did I say? I you said did. Jonathan Wiseman. Oh, all right. Well, y'all know. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe hey, Jonathan. Hey, Wiseman. Wiseman. Okay. I said, James I said Wiseman. next to nothing okay. from Wiseman. Y'all know what I was talking about. For, right. Tongue, tongue lap. Sorry. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, none of these people, none of these people, the name I'm about to say, none of these people were supposed to be this guy, but it's reminiscent of the Celtics. This is what I was saying, a fastball down the middle for you. The Celtics, when they were going to get Len Bias, and Len Bias was going to extend this dynasty, that 80s dynasty was going to go into the next generation. Rest in peace to Len Bias. You understand what I'm saying? Like the right. Warriors, we yeah, saw that yeah. first iteration of them in, 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 you know, 2015, 2016, so on and so forth. And Kevin Durant came and, and they were as unstoppable a group as we've ever seen for a couple of years. And they got hurt, both Durant and Klay Thompson, and Toronto knocked them off. And they had this interruption the last couple of years with injuries um, to Steph and to Clay and to Draymond for that matter. And now here they are reimagined, rebooted and retooled with guys that could take them into the future. Similar again, none of them is Lynn bias, but similar yeah, yeah, right. to how the Celtics were or even we saw the Spurs more recently do it, you know, with with Kawhi Leonard extend that that that, that Tim Duncan dynasty for another iteration. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like here they are. Oh yeah, definitely. And here and, and they're and they're going to be here for a while longer. So all those teams that had designs on taking the Western Conference from the Warriors, you know, if you didn't if you didn't strike in those two years when they were down, you might not be able to get to them for a while. Look, I, I think Sorry, it's a great Memphis. analogy. No, I, I think it's a great analogy, and this is what happens when people are perennially in the lottery and they really are just out there picking in the dark. There's really no organizational vision for them. And then there are teams that don't really belong in the lottery. They just kind of stop by there. They're looking around. They're like, oh, y'all here every year? No, this is just temporary for us. We just, we just fell on hard times uh, unexpectedly. Uh, we'll be out of here. Y you won't be seeing us again. Same thing happened with the Celtics. The Celtics, it wasn't because they, fall, they fell off. Red Auerbach made a great trade. Gerald Henderson to Seattle. Seattle had the number two pick. Number two pick, Lynn Bias. And we know the tragedy of Lynn Bias. But... Here it, are, here it is with Golden State. They had some injuries and they fell into the lottery. Number two pick again. They come Number up with James pick, Wiseman. James Wiseman. Num yeah. yeah, James Wiseman. Who, who knows what and, he's going to be. And I, I tell you, the other thing is, hey, Golden State is, Golden State is an example of many things, of, of keeping a championship team together and, and knowing how to re uh, reimagine and rebuild around them, one. Uh, knowing how to make smart draft choices, two. And then three, uh, this is one of my staples. Make trades with organizations that don't, that aren't smart. Trade with bad, trade with with just unwise organizations. It's usually going to work out for you. When they made, I, I, listen, God is my witness, and a couple of my students are, are, are witnesses. When they traded for Andrew Wiggins, I said, man, what a smart deal. They had D'Angelo Russell, who really wasn't a fit for them. Uh, and they they flip D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins, and they get a lottery pick out of it. Like, Who turned are into you Kaminga? Me? Who turned yeah. into Kaminga? But wait, but wait a second. Here, here's a little, here's a slight bone I got to pick with you. And I know the Timberwolves. Okay, let's do it. Historically, have not been, a, you know, a, a a wise organization. I get it, but it's almost like a cart horse chicken egg type thing, because okay. is it that the the smarter organization? is trading with the yep. less smart organization 
or yes, or the player, the player involved, like I mentioned earlier, is going to a situation where now that he's been traded number one, the expectations of him being franchise savior are gone. I mean, you mentioned D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell in the Lakers versus D'Angelo Russell with the Nets, and then the Timberwolves, and then the Warriors, and then the Timberwolves is a different conversation. So I'm saying. For Wick, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it speaks to the Warriors and their culture that they're able to take a bet. What was at the time, hmm. uh, Albatross of a contract, and it was so bad that the lottery pick got thrown in, as you just mentioned, that, that turned into Jonathan Kaminga. Um, I'm protected lottery. And, pick. You're right, but okay, well, all right, yeah, you're right. And, okay, <laughs> right, let's, 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 let's not look at the facts to get in the way of a good story. But no, but again, okay. they make they they look Wiggins looks better with the Warriors because he's with the Warriors is what I'm saying. You know, it, like okay. he doesn't have to do the same thing that he was asked to do as a number one overall pick and a, and a, and a sidekick at the time to Carl Anthony Towns. He could be their fifth best player on most nights. He is their fifth best player, if not lower. Right in Golden State and nobody expects there's no pressure on him in Golden State. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't I don't know yeah, if I, I as dumb it. as Golden State is so the answer, just their culture brings out the best in people. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Here's my answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all of the above. Yes, all of the above to both of them to both of them. They are stupid. They are stupid and that's why they've been in the playoffs twice in the last 19 18 years. Okay, well, that, that, that's one. Okay, and then two Yes, Golden State had the vision to say, yeah, we'll take Andrew. Oh, you're going to make Andrew Wiggins available? Bring him into our culture. The way we're going to use him, it's going to right. work out just fine. Good for right. them. I didn't think the series, you know, I thought Golden State would win the series. I didn't think they win it this season. Well, you know what else is crazy is like, you know, we even talk about Kevon Looney. We've had two games that have happened since we last talked. We even talk about Kevon Looney. You know, it's like they're getting contributions they're so deep. They're, they're, they're as deep as they've ever been right now um, and versatile. And they win in such a variety of ways. And they just tease you. They play too much. Sometimes they play too much at their, to their own detriment. Other times it's like, oh, we got them. We got them about to steal this one. And bam, off they go. I thought the Celtics had the heat after the heat had the Celtics at on the road. After you and I, I think it, I, I go speak for you. After I was like, "Oh, the Celtics got this series," and yet here we are, Heat up two-one. Celtics looking at a three-one deficit tonight. If they ain't careful, here's Emilio Doka. He knows he didn't play his best. Uh, we know we can play a lot better as a team, and so one thing he's always done is bounce back very well. And um, we're looking forward to that from him. Competitive guy, obviously one of the best in the league, and he understands. Uh, an opportunity that was lost and you know guys are going to play great every night but you can still make the right reads and he sees how they're defending him so I, I don't have to say much to him we're all pissed off about it and even probably more than anybody and I'll look for a good response from him him is of course Jason Tatum uh, who called his performance unacceptable four field goal attempts in 22 second half uh, minutes um, the Heat had 19 steals. 19 wow. steals. Yeah. In game three. So game four is tonight, ostensibly, in theory, because uh, it's hard to figure out who's going to play. So Tyler, Tyler Hero is out for Miami. Butler will play. Yeah. Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, game time decisions. Tatum was, of course, banged up. Um, what is your takeaway? 
uh, after this series on this series after the heat literally and figuratively stole game three. Oh, and here's my favorite stat in the first three games. They've won two quarters and yet they're up 2-1 in this series. Uh, my takeaway is that uh, Miami's third down defense is pretty good. I mean, really, I mean, I'm telling you, this is like, this is so physical and in a good way. It's not dirty. I haven't seen any dirty plays in this series. Just two hungry, defensive-oriented, well-coached, scrappy teams going at it to the point where it it'd be foolish going, to predict anything. Going at it like a going at it like a customer at, at the counter at United Airlines at Newark International Airport. Like that's right. <laughs> except, except it's a little more even. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. You sneak that in there. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, I might it, it'd be foolish to come up with any kind of predictions on what's going to happen here. Like everybody, I everybody did, who goes I, I did it. Every, Call me a fool. I no, did it. I well, did yeah. it on Friday. I mean, we did it. Everybody does it. But after you see like the first three games, I don't think the series is going to change. I don't think anything unexpected is going to happen. You know, Bam out of bio was counted out of the first two games. And then he was great in game three. Jimmy Butler, great in game uh, game one. I had a bunch of points in game two, a little more quiet out of the second half. Oh, Jimmy Butler's out for the second half. The Celtics uh, be able to take advantage of him. No, not quite. Here comes Cal Lowry making shots. Yeah. You know, here, I mean, you got so many guys who Victor Oladipo and his great defense on Jalen Brown and his seven turnovers, even though he had 40 points. So yeah. uh, here, here's my takeaway. Just hold on. Hold on for a long series. My, my, my hold, prediction. Hold the rope. Hold the rope. Yeah, my, my prediction. <laughs> hold the rope, Mike. Uh, my prediction is seven games, though. I don't know who's going to win it. So I think it's going. I think they're. I think it's going to distance again. And uh, the team that, the team that wins it, uh, you'll. We won't be able to say definitively. Oh, they're better. It's just, they outlast it. The team that wins this series will outlast. Yes, yeah, the it's other similar, team. very similar to, to Boston, Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough to call when you've had the games go the, the way that they have blowouts for the most part. And like I said, the Heat have won two quarters and yet have won two games. But yo, I was going to say, actually, and, and I'm going to tell you what, I am not going to continue to hold it over your head. I'm just going to remind you ever so gently that in that Milwaukee series, you did think the Celtics is still the strangest commentary that I can remember in a long time. Okay. You did 50, think the 50. Celtics could win could win game six, but not game did. seven at home. Right. But right. But I say all that. I only I only bring that up to say the team that I saw in the last game is that what inspired that? It's, it's almost like you didn't yes. trust the Celtics. Right. After well, that's that meltdown, it. was it game that's was it. it game five? Absolutely. Was it game, game five, five against Milwaukee when it melted down? Yeah. So it's almost like you, could, you couldn't bring yourself to trust them. Was game three against Miami them. emblematic of that? Yeah. Well, see, I think that's what it. That's really what it comes down to. You lose a game like that at home in the last two minutes, and you melt down and say, "Okay, what I thought about this." My 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 scouting report on the Celtics snapshot scouting report after game five was. They can win games. Game five against Milwaukee. Yep. Mm -hmm. They can they can win games. Game five against Milwaukee. They can win games when um, 
they don't absolutely need to or the, the pressures when the pressure's not on when it's not a closing situation. Uh, they can win those games, but when it really comes down to it, they need to be disciplined and they can and, and they need to just shut it down without any questions. They falter. They didn't do that in the, in the Milwaukee series in game seven. Now they did in game three. They didn't show up, but it was game three. I, so I'm not going to say, oh, here they are again, but I, I don't really trust them in big situations. Uh, they came back to burn me in game seven. They were very but trustworthy. They always in respond, win in game seven right? against Milwaukee. They, but that? they always respond. They always respond. Lately, that's a that's a that's a recent that's a recent thing. That's like saying you know you try to tell your kids to do something and they've been doing it for like the last month. You can't say always. You still remember. I've been trying to get them to do this for three years and they started to do it for the last month. Is this who they really are? Have they figured it out or are they on a nice little streak? So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, listen, I you're, you're right. It'd be foolish to again, you know, uh, make any grand proclamations the way I did on Friday when I was like, oh, you know, the uh, the Celtics look like the better team. And look again, uh, 10 out of the 12 quarters, they have been the better team. Um, They've had the better listen, numbers tonight. Here, here's, but here's the bottom line. The Heat are perfectly capable of winning tonight. The Celtics. Yes are perfectly capable of giving the game away tonight. If it's 3-1, I think it's going to it's going to end up going against that old adage of usually the better team wins. Like the Celtics could end up losing this series in a gentleman's sweep in Miami and probably will walk away from this series being like we're the better team. That's how sloppy well, I would hope so. and I'm careless hoping. and careless the Celtics can be. That's a championship caliber team, and I think you said it last week. The Celtics at their best, with apologies to the Warriors, at their best. who we were just, it was, it was, we were just, you know, hyping them up and, and big upping them a minute ago. At their best, they look like they could, they the best team remaining. But at their worst, they look like a, a eighth grade team. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well uh, here, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. They do that whole thing that you mentioned. Uh, if they lose a series, they wind up losing the series and say, hey, we're the better team. What a mistake. What what a uh, what what a way not to get the assignment and to get the lesson because they said the same thing two years ago in the bubble. Now, in that case, Miami is up two one after three games in my in the bubble. I think the Celtics were up two to one and Miami didn't lose again. One and six and the Celtics walked away saying what happened? Right yeah. now, Miami's up two to one, and maybe they're wondering what happened to us. But I mean, this maybe this is what you, you tell your eighth grade team, and you tell any team. Who, who cares? Who cares? Who's got the All Star appearances and all this stuff? Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, if you're gonna play, if you're not yep. go, if you're not gonna pay attention to details, details yeah, matter. You're, you're, and if you're not gonna pay attention to the details, you will yeah. lose. If you don't box yeah, out, if you don't take care of the basketball, if you spend all your time uh, complaining to the officials, you're going to wind yourself. Right. You're going to wind, you're gonna wind up uh, on the short end of some of some games that you feel like you got the talent to win. But so what? It's not about I, I, talent. I, I, I don't think the Celtics say that say that publicly. Like, oh, we're the better team, or we should we should it should ain't got shit to do with it. You're absolutely right. Privately, and honestly, it, it really it really privately depends they did, on. Though. Probably. Probably they did. It really, two years ago. it really depends on who plays tonight. Smart and Williams, if, if if their game time decisions, if they don't play or they're hampered, when Jimmy Butler does play, 
it could be three one. It could be a much quicker series than we think. So we'll, I'll hold on. I'm holding on with you for a long series. I'll be there tonight. Could turn, could turn the tide. Oh, nice, nice. I'll be in the building, house. doing a little. Yeah, doing some reporting. Press pass or press. Oh, okay. So press, not, pass. press pass, not the not the plug, not the courtside seat plug. No, not press the pass. club, man. I'm okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. I'm, I'm gonna be sniffing around, seeing what I can. Uh, oh, okay. See what I can. Come I know you're gonna be sitting courtside, tripping people like that dude tripped uh, Steph Curry last night. If we're gonna talk about the Celtics, we might as well squeeze in the Lakers as well. Uh, the Lakers, and I referenced my eighth grade team a second ago, so it kind of all comes together. My 14U team. Shout out to the talented. Um, look, the Lakers are still looking for a coach. They made overtures to Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard said thanks, but no thanks. Now there's, there's there's logical connections there. Played at Michigan with former walk-on Rob Palenka. What's overtures mean? Like you tell you tell your boy, hey man, I like to holler. You know, why don't you? You don't want to well, do mean, it. You have somebody I mean, else. Rob, well, e- either of your GMs, either Rob Palenka, who was a walk-on uh, at Michigan yeah. and played with Jawan Howard, or LeBron James, LeBron. the other GM could certainly reach out to his former teammate Juwan Howard and see what time it is. And what I love about it is Juwan Howard didn't even go through the dance, the Jim Harbaugh like dance of flirting with the professionals and to try to get a bigger yeah. contract. He ain't even fool nobody. He ain't fool around with it. He ain't prolong it. He didn't do an interview. He was like, I'm good coaching my sons, Jason Jet. And I'm telling you, man, yeah. I get I would never compare myself to Juwan Howard, of course, but Michael, I don't know if the opportunity about presents to. itself. No, I'm I'm a dad. Me and Juwan Howard yeah. got that in common. We're dads, which you do as well, right? If you ever get an opportunity right. to coach Robinson or Beckham, or for that matter, Ava, there is nothing more rewarding than coaching your son and his friends. Just to recap my weekend, I won't be long with it. Friday night, I had three kids sleeping over, and I had four overgrown kids playing hide-and-seek in my house, Michael. Okay, it was so much fun. I had, they, they slept Saturday. We had five kids in the car as we drove to a tournament in Massachusetts, the uh, the Marquee Hoops tournament in Massachusetts. Spent all day Saturday doing it. Uh, one of them slept over Saturday night, and or two of them, I'm sorry, slept over Saturday night, and then we did it again on Sunday, went back to Massachusetts for another game and spent the day in Massachusetts for another game. Bottom line is, I'm just saying, I look forward to the weekends. I used to look at, 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 at the weekend as like, well, Monday is right around the corner. I live for Saturday and Sunday just to be able to coach my kid, coach Mason and coach his team. So I'm saying Jawan Howard, it is priceless. Maybe the Lakers are a marquee organization. Maybe your dream is to one day coach an NBA, but obviously he's at his alma mater. So there's something to be said for that. Similar to Harbaugh. He's at his alma mater. But I'm saying like when you got an opportunity to coach your kids, same as LeBron is dreaming of a day when he wants he can play with Bronny. Play with this is son. a no yeah. brainer. Yeah. There is no discussion to be had. I get to coach my kids. I'm doing that for as long as I possibly can. I envy Juwan Howard. I oh my God. If I could coach my kid, Michael, and actually know what I'm talking about, like I'm more of an encourager. I just I take care of substitution patterns. I'm an encourager. I motivate. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I ain't drawing up uh, nothing up on the board like talking about it. Well, I mean, but if I actually knew what I was talking about and could coach my kids at Michigan, oh my God, that's priceless. That must be such an awesome experience. Good for Jawan Howard, knowing what's most important to him. Yeah, you know, and I think I think part of it is for him is what you just said, opportunity to coach both sons because you know one son is going to be a junior, the other one's going to be a freshman. So it, it's being able to coach brothers. So brothers being able to play together 
and then a father able to coach his sons. That's a great situation. Uh, so th- I think that's number one, but uh, a very uh, disturbing number two, if you're a Lakers fan, is wow, you look at their finalists. So right now, th- this is, okay, let me give you the list of finalists for the position. They got Kenny, okay, here it is. Kenny Atkinson, Darvin Ham, and Terry Stotts. One of those guys could be the next Eric Spolster. One of those guys could be the next Ime Odoka, although we know about Stotts and Atkinson. Stotts probably not going to be the next anything. Stotts is going to be the next Terry Stotts. But uh, Atkinson and Ham, uh, it, it's not quite clear what they're going to be. I know Atkinson had, what, three or four years with Brooklyn, and, and, and those last couple of years, he had his hands tied behind his back. But that's not really, it's the Lakers. I don't know if they're really looking for that. It just tells you where they are organizationally. Tells you what I've been telling you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tells yeah. you what I've been telling that's you right. for a while. Like, this job it, made it tells you where they are organizationally. You see where Mark Stein, Mark Stein said that they're, they have not given up hope, I think, or they have not abandoned hope that Doc Rivers may come available this offseason. Come on, man. They, you know what they probably have to do? <laughs> what? They probably, it, it, this could be a good move. May, maybe Doc is a guy. They would have to give up a second round pick. I don't think Philadelphia would demand a first. Because I'm not sure Philadelphia really wants Doc. I know what Daryl Morey said. I'm not sure he wants him there. So it's a good way think, to bring in his own guy. Tony. Yep. Yep. It's a good way to bring in his own guy. Send Doc to the Lakers, get him a new contract with the Lakers. You get a second round pick, and then it's all done. No harm. Because the Lakers don't have a first round pick to give. Uh, Doc was traded before for a first rounder. It's not going to happen again because the Lakers just can't, they can't afford it. But that yeah, would be a good one. I, I listen. I Doc give, would be a good I give, one. I give, I give Doc the grief that I believe he deserves. But like, if Daryl Morey decides to move on from Doc, in favor of Mike D'Antoni, who I've also been a defender of, then Daryl Morey is committing organizational uh, negligence. It's a dereliction of duty, and Sixers ownership should move on from him immediately because that would mean that he is prioritizing James Harden, who it is uncertain as to whether winning a championship is a priority to one James Harden. You hiring Mike D'Antoni because you got visions of Houston dancing in your head. And as Joel and B knows, and, that James Harden ain't walking through that door. And okay, yeah, and you also think maybe you look at Dan Tony and say he's been close. Western Conference oh, Finals yeah. with Phoenix. I like Mike Dan Western Conference I like Finals him. with the Rockets. Don't get me wrong, I, I just don't like the reason but, behind moving on from Doc yeah. Rivers for Dan Tony. I don't like the rationale. The presumed rationale. Yeah, he's like he's like almost. He's almost that championship guy. He's not a championship coach. Almost though. So you're going to the game, huh? Nice. Be out in these streets. You're going to feel some love. When I, you need to be reporter, always reporter. That's right. But you need to be around some love too. You know, like like Mitch and Peyton Full. You know, you're gonna be, you know, people gonna be surrounding you and whatnot. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
right, so the NFL uh, is holding its annual spring meeting this week in Atlanta. And during that time, about 60 minority and women coaches uh, and executives uh, who currently work for teams, they will attend the Coach and Front Office Accelerator Program. Uh, that's today and tomorrow in Atlanta. And that's in response to the slow pace of minority hiring of NFL coaches and GMs. But Brian Flores' lawsuit is without merit. Um, just for accounting purposes, um, we know that there are four uh, black coaches uh, and two uh, minority coaches in the NFL right now. Um they had a pretty decent hiring head, cycle for head coaches. He, head coaches. Head coaches, yes. Sorry, head coaches. Four black GMs were hired over the last 17 months, and three minority coaches were hired this year. Lovey Smith, Mike McDaniel, Todd Bowles. Um, so, but the but the bigger issue, uh, and where all it stems from really is uh, over the four hiring cycles from 2018 to 2021, three black coaches were hired over that four mm-hmm. uh, cycle period. Uh, what do you think of this uh, coach and front office accelerator program? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I really don't know. That's, um, that's perfectly acceptable. I, I, I really don't know what I think of it. Um, especially when the league has, when the, the league's official response is, as you just said, uh, offhandedly, Brian Flores' lawsuit is without merit. So when the league's official response is that, when uh, the league's official response to the Rooney rule, since it came into play, has been uh, underwhelming when it comes to hiring, when it comes to uh, just the spirit of that rule. We have had some sham interviews. Yes, we have. And we've had some tweaks to the Rooney rule to try to encourage ownership and general managers to give minority coaches a chance. So because those things exist, and now we have this program, is it really, what is it? What are they looking to do? Are they just trying to keep people quiet? Are they trying to keep critics quiet? Are they trying to keep coaches? They stop your complaining. We did, remember we did that thing in Atlanta. You remember that, right? We have done that for any other coaches. We did it for women. We did it for our coaches of color. Just sit down. We already did it. Or, or is this really a meeting of the minds, the meeting of open minds and where coaches can come and show themselves worthy to, to, to owners and general managers and, and let them know that, Hey, if you get to know me, don't just go by um, any kind of, they would never say this, but any kind of biases you might have or any kind of preconceived thoughts you may have about my abilities. I'm actually very competent. And I know what I'm doing. I can lead your organization. It just all depends on what they're looking for. It it could be cynically, Mike. Could just be another really good um, perform performative photo shoot. Could be a good photo yeah, shoot. Performative. Um. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you have every reason to feel that way. Uh, it's a step, a baby step. Um. But it's not. I mean, they put in a fancy name to it. Maybe it's more of a formal event, but there have been plenty of um, programs uh, or summits designed right. to put right. 
minor, minority, and I'm gonna come back to that word minority in a second. Uh, you might have saw the look on my face as I was reading earlier. Put minority coaches in front of the 30 of 31 white NFL majority owners in the NFL. Um, so this is not, this isn't a new exercise, but it's a necessary exercise because what we know is rich white dudes are not about to be told what to do, number one. Number two, they typically hire who they're most comfortable with. Number three, the people that they're most comfortable with are typically in their circle or remind them of them or they, they relate to them on a foundational level. That's, that just is what it is. Uh, and I'll add a number four. They usually go into this process with an idea of who they want or what type of coach they want, if not specifically who they want, thanks to whatever they've identified as their organizational mandate and or what their friends or the majority white media or majority white agents have whispered in their ear about who the so-called hot candidates are, right? So that's yeah. the situation yeah. as it stands. But my problem with the word minority is the NFL, like we do this a lot in society. It's like we just lump, oh, okay, well, let's just, let's just address minority hiring. No, y'all got a problem with hiring black people. Black, y'all have a problem with hiring black people. So to try to check the minority box in the form of, oh, we're also, uh, you know, opening this up to women, not to say that you should not hire women, of course, hire more women, absolutely. But let's not skip the part where you address why you won't hire more black people before we get to tackling minorities in general. You understand what I'm saying? It goes back, there's the program yeah. that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It was the, uh, the offensive internship program. Yeah. And we know that the league has an issue with black coaches on the offensive side of the ball. We know that the offensive side of the ball is, po is the most popular and quickest pipeline to a head coaching opportunity. And they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna have, every team has to have a, a, a minority or a woman offensive assistant. It's like, this is getting too muddled for me. Let's talk about the fact that you don't hire black people. Let's talk about that and let's address that. It doesn't, have, th these things are not mutually exclusive. Therefore, they should not overlap. You should hire more women. You should hire more black people. So that's, that's my biggest issue with, with these programs right now is they're trying to like, you know, lump everybody together um, and, and check all these boxes at one convenient time. I do, I do think this can be a productive exercise. It's not the end all be all. It's not going to solve the problem once and for all. But it is, like I said, a baby step in the right direction because even if one owner is infatuated yeah. or develops a relationship with one uh, other candidate that they otherwise would not have been exposed to or would not have taken the time to get to know, provided all these owners attend. It's a, this, I hope this isn't uh, voluntary. I hope this isn't an OTA type situation. Well, hope this is mandatory yeah. for every owner to attend and take seriously. Okay. And if one person is exposed to one coach that they otherwise wouldn't be, then it was a worthwhile exercise. Okay, and this is where this is where it's a little difficult for me to just really I mean it's the first one. So I'm sure they'll figure it out. The first one by the time if they do it five times or, or ten times, mm -hmm. I hope they mm -hmm. don't they don't need to do that. But if they do it uh, several times, they'll be able to work out the kinks. Okay, like you said all every player, uh, every owner should be there. I hope so. Should hope they take it seriously enough? Should Art Rooney be there? Yeah. Why? 
I'm, I mean, it's, well, okay, okay. You didn't say this, but I'm deducing from your question. It's not some kind of punishment. I mean, I think everybody should be there because it's a good thing to attend. Art Rooney could be there to maybe introduce somebody that he already knows. Okay, to another but, owner, but, but or think, just to lead the way on how to approach these things. It should be but I think important people, for the league, not just for the people who have who don't have Art Rooney's record when it comes to diversity. Should be fair. But I think it. I think there, but I think there are different categories of of owners. Like every owner, mm -hmm. like some owners, like so. Art, if Art Rooney is there and he's sitting next to an owner who doesn't have a great track record, like we're mm -hmm. not the same. We're not the same. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, I'm. I've right. been open-minded. I've been consistent. You haven't. So why why should I allow you to kind of be on a parallel path with me when you're not really on but my not, level? But I don't think this is a negative. This isn't. I don't. This, I don't look at this as racial sensitivity training. I look at this as an opportunity for people to just get to know one another and network. And Art Rooney, just because he just because he hired Mike it, Tomlin it and is. now Brian Flores, doesn't mean he can't stand to meet more black people himself. I'm sure he'd tell you that. You know, yeah, or more women I mean, for that matter. But it, okay, unless they unless they have they, they need to define it better because it really kind of is this. Hey, we're lacking. Why, why does this? Why does the accelerator program exist? Why does the accelerator summit exist? Because there's, there's a, a problem. problem, right? So there's some people. There are going to be some owners there who either are going to say out loud or say to themselves, "No, I, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem at all." Now, I can look around the room, and some of y'all do. But I don't. Okay, but if the guy, so but if the guy doing? that doesn't, but if the owner that doesn't have a problem is there, doesn't that set the right example that everybody, regardless of what you think, the room that you don't think you have to improve, we all can improve in this area. The problem is the good yeah. old boy network. So let's all get together and network. But we and ain't let's a network. Benefit from it. That's what say that. That's what I would push back against. Say I ain't, in, I ain't, I ain't a network with Daniel Snyder. <laughs> I ain't a network with Sean Khan. We ain't a network. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's a, yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. But it's something. It's not nothing. But it's not a call for celebration either. So. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mike, you remember Tommy Kramer, man, from the Vikings? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, listen, he, he may not be playing anymore, but that hatred for Green Bay still runs deep right there. That's awesome. I mean, you know, it's not often that I would admire a urinal. You know, I usually try to just get in and get out, but, you know, hey, let's go show you how deep that rivalry goes. Charles Robinson from Yahoo is here. Man, let's talk about a couple of NFC West rivals who have something else in common, and that's that they're at odds over contracts with a couple of their young stars, and that's the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, and the Niners and Debo Samuel, neither of whom reported, as expected, for organized team activities, which of course are voluntary, but nonetheless, there's a statement and them staying away. Uh, what's the significance of both Kyler Murray and Debo Samuel uh, staying away from OTAs? Well, I mean, I, I tend to look at the, the OTAs as it's just a 
sort of a heat check, temperature check on on really what's going to happen when full squads, when everybody is, it's mandatory that veterans show up for full squad minis um, in June. Now, if you have two players that are not showing up for full squad minis in June, you now have a chance that these will be holdouts when training camp opens. So this is basically just the first, um, I guess, watermark, the, the first mark where we're kind of like, okay, what are we heading toward? This is a sign that both players may sit out of mandatories in June. If they sit out of mandatories in June, I would expect they will not report for training camp uh, without new contracts. So um, it's a little pressure on the organization to talk a little more publicly about where the contract uh, negotiations are for both players. And I do think that this is something that could be resolved for both contractually at this point, even though Debo Samuel, we've heard this sort of nebulous description that, well, it's not just about the contract, but I do think the contract would resolve this <laughs> if the number would put him at the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. I think this would get resolved pretty quickly. Kyler Murray, same situation. I think if the, the contract numbers were, I, I don't know that he would have to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, but it would have to creep pretty close to that $50 million number, I think, to get Kyler Murray done. Um, I think, though, that there's a chance that both of these individuals get extensions prior to training camp starting. I'm not confident that either will, will be at the full squads, though, in June. You know what? I, I'm so glad you mentioned it. Uh, you know, it's, it's especially with Debo. Hey, it could be some stuff off the field, but the contract can make it better because Charles and help me out and you too, Michael. I can think of many pre-draft examples of people who didn't want to be in a certain location. John Elway didn't want to pay for the Baltimore Colts. He winds up being traded to the Denver Broncos. Eli Manning didn't want to pay for the Chargers gets traded to the Giants, but I'm trying to think of guys third year in their career, fourth year in their career, contract is an issue, and they're not traded because of the contract. They're traded because they want to be on the West Coast, East Coast, or something like that. I just can't think of anybody like that, uh, like a big-time player. So it's got to be the money. And what is it What is it about San Francisco's offer that Debo finds so uh, such a deal-breaker? I mean, like, what is it? It's got to be something dramatic there. Well, I think that, again, I'm, I'll say it again. I think he needs to be the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. And I, I think that San Francisco is reticent to, to give him that kind of money right now because you look at the track record. He had a fantastic season last season, and a large amount of the offense functions through Debo Samuel. Um, I think you could even say that maybe Mike McDaniel has the job that he has right now because of the way, you know, the Dolphins job right now, because of the way that um, Debo Samuel played last season. That said, there have been some injuries. Um, it is, he put it all together in one season. Okay. Um, it was a spectacular season. I voted for him first team, all pro He's you know, a first team, all pro wide receiver. Um, I think he is, a difference maker because of the fact that you can put the ball in his hands in, in a multitude of ways. I think he is, is a little bit different than almost every other wide receiver out there. Um, so I can see the argument um, on the side of his camp when it comes time to pay him. Um, but I think if you're the 49ers, you're probably sitting there saying, we'd love to be able to see two seasons of that. You know, we'd like to be able to see a little more um, extended uh, performance like that and 
I think the 49ers, although they want to keep him, they want to pay him. I, I think that, you know, they're balking a little bit at what, what the price tag could ultimately be. And by the way, they're not the first. As much as we're told, well, you know, Tyreek Hill really wanted to be in Miami. The truth is Tyreek Hill wanted to be in Kansas City until the money changed significantly. And the Chiefs are like, we're not going to pay Tyreek Hill that kind of money. It's just not happening. And we're too far apart. Same situation with um, the Green Bay Packers. Although I think Devontae Adams truly did want to go to uh, the Raiders, did want to play in Las Vegas, did want to play with Derek Carr. Um, I also think part of that too, though, was the fact that they had gotten to that point where he had not gotten the extension that he wanted up until that point. And I think the Packers, although maybe they don't want to say it publicly, were okay saying, okay, well, we got assets in return and we don't have to pay that wide receiver contract. The same as the Tennessee Titans are like, hey, A.J. Brown, we love you. We don't want to pay that money. We're more than happy to have assets instead of that price tag. That's kind of where, you know, this sits with teams. Some want to pay them, some speaking, don't. Speaking of A.J. Brown, whatever idiot fans are sending him abuse or, or threatening yeah. him, I wish they recognized that it takes two to make a contract and the Titans were very much responsible for him not being there as much as he was. He can't trade himself. Uh, the highest paid player in the NFL, same situation happened. That's how Deshaun Watson got to Cleveland. Fully guaranteed $230 million contract. Lots of talk about him in the last couple of days, whether it's him talking to the league or his accusers talking to real sports, which we will see tomorrow night on HBO. Uh, what are you hearing behind the scenes when it comes to what the league is thinking when it comes to Deshaun Watson discipline? I think there's going to be another meeting between Deshaun and and the league. Now, it's not set in stone, but when you talk to people in his camp, it's pretty clear. Um, you know, I had a chance to talk to Rusty Harden, who obviously is his defense attorney. Um, it sounds like essentially the way, so they had three days of meetings, and it sounds like they were pretty long, they're pretty intense, and it, the way it, it kind of played out is I think the league was like, okay, now we have this information in, in hand. I talked to somebody in the league office. I think the thought process was, we're now gonna compare notes basically on some of the interviews we've had with the um, Deshaun Watson's accusers, some of these women that have filed the civil suits. And we're gonna compare, you know, some of the information that we've gotten from Deshaun. We have the ability to basically reach out to some of these alleged victims again and say, hey, okay, this is how this is being characterized. Let's talk about that. And then have another follow-up with Deshaun Watson um at, at some point but i everything right now although the browns and deshaun watson's defense team they're all saying the same thing hey this is in the it's on the league's timeline we have no idea when this is going to wrap up i'm just telling you i think the goal on on the part of the nfl is to have some kind of suspension decision or personal conduct decision um on record by the time training camp kicks off um in july and now there's an outside uh, arbitrator because of the new CBA. There's now a, an arbitrator who handles this. The league could say, we think he violated the personal conduct policy. They present to the arbitrator. If the arbitrator says, no, he didn't. There's nothing here to show he violated the personal conduct policy. It's done, then that's over. The arbitrator has the ultimate um, decision. But if the arbitrator agrees, he did violate the personal conduct policy. Then you move on to a process of assessing what the suspension will be and uh, whatnot. So one other thing I would mention this, I do think we are entering a more public phase of 
I guess, the court of public opinion, if you will. Um, the fact that this HBO Real Sports interview is happening, it's the first national interview that um, mm. any of these alleged uh, victims have undergone. So it's the first time you're gonna see them sitting in front of a camera that's not a prearranged press conference by Tony Busby, their, their attorney. So to me, that also does signal a little more of a, a, a change in um, the tenor of, of things. I do think it's gonna become a little more public um, facing in terms of the alleged victim. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good point, Charles. I wonder if you think there's anything that could be said in this real sports interview with Soledad O'Brien. You think there's anything that can be said that will put more pressure on the NFL to make a decision? Uh, could, could, I, that, could that uh, interview be so compelling, so forceful that everybody's like, wow, NFL, what are you going to do? Yes, I absolutely do, because I think that I, I'll give you an example. I read through all the suits, right? Um, and, and the suits in and of themselves, they allege some I know you're going pretty grimy that. stuff. They're hard to read through. You know, you're, you're like, wow, this is, there's some stuff in here that is, is difficult to read and process through some allegations. But then when Ashley Solis, who was the first, um, the first woman basically to, to appear at a press conference and, and go through her account, you know, it, there's a very human aspect to it that I think reaches out to people a little bit more. Now I will say this, I, I, it was like live streamed on Facebook and I saw the commentary, the running commentary in Facebook and it was frightening. It really was, it was absolutely frightening. And you know, Michael, you talk about AJ Brown and the things that people will say to AJ Brown. You could see very clearly why some of these women never wanted to step out in the right. public, you know, just from those right. comments. And so I think there will be a human side to the, the HBO Real Sports report that I think will connect differently than just reading the allegations or reading a media it's like, report. It's like domestic violence accusations versus domestic violence video, you know. Right, um, yeah. right. It lands Ray, differently. Ray, um, I, I would tell people Ray Rice, having gone mm -hmm. through the Ray Rice, you know, case exactly. in and of itself. The second I saw the elevator video, for me anyway, it went from, man, this is really serious and this sounds really bad. But then when I saw yeah. the video, I'm like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen right. from a domestic yeah. violence standpoint. I mean, it was unbelievable. The only Right, but the only difference is the video in that instance mm. or in instances like that is not much that's ambiguous about it, if right. anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. This yes, is still correct. going not to be accusations. Yeah. Exactly. Not, it's not apples to oranges, but I understand your overall point that seeing an accuser give her testimony versus reading it is, is more powerful. Um, somebody else that there's pressure to do something about is, of course, uh, Washington Commander's uh, mm -hmm. owner Daniel Snyder. So there's a report that they're, I guess they're taking a straw poll among owners. They're taking, they're trying to see how many, <laughs> yeah. whether they have the 24 of, of 32 votes required to remove him. Uh, if it were, I, I thought that should have been a quick process, especially when it came out that he was allegedly messing with the church's money. Uh, what kind of uh, momentum is there behind the scenes to get Daniel Snyder up out of here once and for all? Well, so there's meeting, there's league meeting this week in Atlanta. Um, and I do think that there will probably be, as you kind of turned in a straw poll, I think there will be some discussion um, privately, maybe not in a group setting, but I think privately between some owners about um, where are we taking this? Like how, how far do we want to take this? And, but also I think there's, there's an aspect of this that everyone has to understand amongst ownership. This isn't going to be 
easy, okay? Like this is someone who, um, if Dan Snyder is, is ejected from the league, it's gonna be like when one of the three of us has watched someone get ejected from a football game and they're drunk and bicycle kicking everybody in the head as they're getting dragged out. Okay, that's gonna be what this is gonna, gonna be, be like. Hey, it's, it's it's Nino it's Nino Brown. If I'm going down, I'm taking a whole yeah. bunch of y'all with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be you know uh, Denzel and you know sitting down with his <laughs> cup of coffee and he's like, all right, let's do it. Let's okay, I can give you the whole thing. Like let's sit right, down. And, right. Uh, yeah. It's, there's, I uh, want them cops. That yes. took my money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want the police. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think that people got to keep that in mind. And by the way, Dan Snyder sure isn't operating like he's going anywhere. I mean, you know, you drop a hundred million dollars on two hundred acres uh, in in you know Virginia for your new stadium. He's sure acting like I'm going to be here. We're going to get the stadium done, and I'm moving forward in in my business process. So. You know, we'll see. Um, and by the way, it's not the first time. I'll, I'll, let me put it to you this way. Straw polls happen quite a bit with with um, owners. Jarrett Bell, obviously, of USA Today, he reports this. But, um, you know, this this happens like when when Jerry Jones went after Roger Goodell before Roger Goodell landed his, his most recent extension as commissioner of the NFL. Um, Jerry did a little straw polling himself to try and see if he could basically end Roger Goodell's tenure as commissioner. You know, this is it's something owners talk amongst themselves and try yeah. to figure out if they've got the votes to make a power move. And it would not surprise me if there are a few owners sitting there going, you know, are, we're kind of done with this. Do we have the votes to get this done? And that's part of what's being reported. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing and maybe I'm just so cynical. I, I, I've talked with Michael about this before. Uh, when it came out, that whole, as Michael said, ta uh, taking the church's money or stealing the church's money. When that story came yeah. out, I said, still not enough. It's not enough. I would guess you probably at most could get 10. What's your guess? I mean, I know we're, we're speculating. What's your guess? People who would say, yes, I'm willing to not only say Daniel Snyder is a disaster, because you probably get 25 people who could say that. I'm willing to say he's a disaster. I'm willing to say that he should be out and I'll put my name to it in a vote. I don't think I don't think you got that many votes. What do you think? I paused. Oh, I thought, he was, I thought he was just listening real yeah, intense. That was like, man, you know what yeah, that was? I, you know, that was around the horn. That was around the horn. Old school. Like, oh, you get oh the freezing. Yeah, on the way out the freezing. Hey, we got we got to we got to go to break anyway. So that was actually okay. But I, but I, but your point, I get it. You know, maybe you that's his answer. You don't have the votes. Zero. You don't have the votes. <laughs> you got any congressional <laughs> approval, and you don't have the votes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to be like, man, I'm sick of this dude. It is another thing to cast that ballot to out an owner. Uh, so I, and I've always understood now, where you're coming from with that. Because it's public. At a certain point, public, when right. is enough enough? Because now, because now Snyder would be like, okay. Mm. Okay, I know what I know. What's up with you? Oh, you. Oh, oh he you knows where the bodies record. are buried. And but and yeah. that's the thing is like, do you keep him, or do you risk going down with him, as he continues to be toxic and radioactive? I think. But the, the but the latter, but the latter is probably less risky, for a variety of reasons, which we'll talk about another day, than the former. Yeah. Probably less risky. You know what? It's cheaper to keep him. It's cheaper to keep him, Bobby yep. Bland. I, I bet you. 
I bet you there's zero votes. He gets zero out of here votes from the NFC East. They all want a mistake. He's good for business. <laughs> I know why. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like I say, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, I think the first two quarters, I wasn't in, you know, I played very bad. Uh, you know, that, that's on me. Uh, but I'm still learning. And I think, you know, after this season is done, whatever we are, uh, I think I'm going to look back, you know, and learn a lot of things. You know, it's my first time in conference finals in the NBA. Uh, so I, I'm 23, man. I'm still learning a lot. 42. All right, Benny Goodwill. <laughs> yeah, Benny Goodwill. He's learning. <laughs> Lucas says he's still learning. Uh, we have learned that Golden State is up three zip in this series. One went away from going back to the NBA Finals. Uh, they've never lost the Western Conference Finals uh, with Steve Kerr there as the head coach. So uh, what have you learned watching Luka and, and Dallas uh, go up against Golden State in this series? I think I've learned that the talent disparity is wider than anybody could have expected going into this series. I think, well, I think we all knew it, right? We all knew that Dallas was probably a year ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, getting to this point. You you couldn't have expected the first year of Jason Kidd and Luca having never gotten out of the first round of the playoffs to advance this far in year one. But to see basically, you know, a guy that Golden State doesn't have to depend on on in every night, Andrew Wiggins, basically looking like he would be the second best player on the Minnesota Timberwolves. That speaks to how wide this this talent gap is and how great of a job, honestly, that Bob Myers and Steve Kerr have done, you know, in putting this group together and this group sort of staying the course over the past couple of years. There were a lot of calls for Steve Kerr to change how he does things to sort of acclimate himself to the group in the short term. And he stayed the course thinking, you know, at some point we're going to get all of our pieces together and this is going to work and everybody's going to have to learn how we play. They stay committed to their style. Now, some people will call that stubborn, right? It, when it works, it, when it doesn't work, it's stubborn. When it works, it's consistency. So it's all in the eye of the beholder, but it, it also just underscores the talent gap here and the holes that Dallas will have to figure out because the Western Conference isn't going to get any easier and you don't want to be in a spot where Luka got too good too soon for your organization that you weren't able to put the requisite pieces around him. Yeah, that's the interesting, I guess, kind of balance. Uh, you know, I like the way you put that because it's like, I mean, you know, Jason Kidd's right for once. Usually when coaches or players say nobody thought we'd be here, they're kind of like overstating it, but he's right. Like very few, if anybody, thought that the Mavericks would be in the Western Conference Finals, at least outside of Dallas. So they're, like you said, ahead of schedule. They've overachieved. There's a talent gap here. Uh, they have clear needs, whether that's another uh, offensive co-star for Luka or probably more, more urgently, defensive help so Luka can't be hunted and exploited as easily on defense. But what's the balance between 
Oh, yeah, you know what? This is just the beginning, as Jason Kidd said. This is just the beginning. This isn't the end. We ran up against the dynasty. Nobody thought we'd be here. We're ahead of schedule. And looking up, if five years have gone by, you got nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? It's like you're in the Western Conference final, even if on paper and based on body of work, the Warriors are on another level than you are, you still don't want to, if you're Dallas or a Dallas Mavericks fan, look at this and be like, you're playing with house money because ain't no guarantees in this game. Like, how many people right. thought that they would they would take that torch from Golden State when they were down the last two years and now here they back in, the, in the, on the brink of being back in the finals. You feel me, Vinny? Yeah, I think you can look no further than the Atlanta Hawks last year with Trey Young and the run that they made to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe they got a little high off their own supply. You know what I mean? Uh, what's Biggie's crack commandments? Ain't that rule number five? You know what I mean? You may, yeah. you might wind up smelling yourself a little bit too much. Number, but I number think four, Jason, but that's okay. The reference itself is incredible. It's number four. Okay. I know you heard this before. Never get high. There you go. Supply, but that's there you okay. Go. Then you're right. Just, you're right. You know, but, but the but the reference is like <laughs> so good. Continue. I, I stand. <laughs> I, I I stand. I stand corrected. And considering I'm sitting around beige right now, I feel like I'm right at home next to you, Michael. Smith, so I really, really do uh, appreciate the beige rage out of you this afternoon. Oh, it wasn't but, rage. Oh, that wasn't no, rage. I said the reference just, wasn't was it phenomenal. Just, it just rhymed. It just rhymed. It didn't mean nothing. Beige rage. It just rhymed. It just rolls up. No, tongue. but there's no rage coming. See, not, but see, but see. Okay, see, that's how y'all do it. You you say beige rage, and then when we react, you say relax. No, I was fine. I was complimenting the poll. I was. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be. I didn't mean to be anal about it and say it was number four, not number five. I just felt. I'm sorry. Anyway, it was a, a it, it was an excellent correction. I do appreciate it, and I'm sure many people will go <laughs> and look up the lyrics to make sure that you are absolutely right and you're right. But to, back to the lecture at hand. Back you know to the lecture at hand. Yeah. Since we since we doing rap lyrics today, back to the lecture right. at hand. Perfection is perfected on the land. Let's understand. Yes. There mm -hmm. we go. No, from a real, from a real G's perspective, you look at the Western <laughs> Conference and you see that the Clippers are coming. Right, you see that yeah. Dallas, that Denver is going to be healthy next year. You don't know what Golden right. State is going to look like. You would think that Phoenix is going to recalibrate in Memphis. Look, you know that Memphis is coming, assuming they're going to be healthy. So, no matter what happened in this series, Dallas could not afford to sit on their hands. Now, the difference is between maybe Dallas and Atlanta is there's no John Collins like piece that you can say, man, maybe he's the ideal piece next to Trey, next to Luca, that type of guy. There isn't that. You know, you, they're not going to be necessarily in love with Spencer Dinwiddie. And Jalen Brunson's going to get paid somewhere, although I don't expect that it will be getting paid in Dallas. So I do think that they're going to have some maneuvering to, to make, no matter what happened this series, whether they got knocked out in the first round, knocked out by Phoenix. I think Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison, the president of basketball operations, they have a very, very clear vision. And with a guy like Luka coming on a max contract, who can look ahead to free agency. You don't want to be in a LeBron space where LeBron in 2007 led a team to the finals that nobody expected to be there. And then in the next two years, he's looking around saying, 
you guys haven't gotten me the help to get me back here. Now, I'm not saying Luca's going to leave for Miami in three years or anything like that, but I do believe that in the Western Conference with the competition being so stiff and that there's nobody on this roster that you're going to be married to, especially when you look across the way and you see what Golden State has, not just as far as their vets, but some of their young players. Like, we haven't even talked about the Wisemans and the Kamingas and the Moody's. Like, they're not yeah. even playing, really, in this series. It's the vets and a couple of those, you know, mid-career pieces that are helping them out right now. Nobody should be sitting on their hands in the Western Conference, not even the Clippers, who I think should be mm. fairly confident about what they're going to look like next year when they have healthy spots. The, the Golden State Warriors, I don't know about y'all, but the Golden State Warriors have kind of put the league on notice a little bit that they're not yeah. really going anywhere, even if they've made the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals a year ahead of schedule. All right, so they put the league on notice. I agree. Uh, what What are the Eastern Conference finalists doing right now? I'm. I, I was talking about it with Mike earlier. I can't figure out the series. It's weird. Uh, I know it's physical. Uh, both teams have had stretches where they've really run the other team off the floor. It was a 22 to two run for Miami in the third quarter. The uh, in game one, game two, the Celtics went on a 17 zip run in the first quarter. Game three, the Celtics look like they're not ready to play. Miami jumps on them, then Boston storms back. So how do you characterize this series, Vinny? Desperation. I think you look at the most desperate team has won every game. Or the most desperate team have put, has put on the decisive burst of play. Like in game one, it was Miami in that third quarter. You know, where they knew, look, man, this Boston team is no joke. We've got to impose our will on them. And you saw Jimmy Butler do what he did. And then in game two, Boston felt that desperation when, when they got Marcus Smart back and they got Al Horford, Al Horford back. And they started to look like a team that, you know, we can't afford to mess around and go down 2-0. And in game three, lo and behold, Bam Adebayo shows up. Like, where the hell has he been? in the first two games of the series. And then he actually started to assert himself and dominate the way that everybody's been telling us that Bam Adebayo has it in him. So in game four or for the rest of the series, at some point, y'all, emotion wears off and you have to play basketball. Emotion wears off. Even the game plans wear off. To me, at some point in game four of a playoff series, to me, I don't know about you guys, but my general theory on this is game four of a playoff series shows us which is the better team and which team is going to win the series. Now, those two things are not the same. You can be the better team and it can be clear that you're not going to win the series for whatever reason, but it will also show the adjustments have run its course because you kind of know what everybody's running. You know, there's only so much film you can watch. And to me, it'll be coming down to who's healthier, playoff execution, a little bit of maturity, and a little bit of desperation. It won't be in the air as much after tonight. Tonight will be the last desperate game, I think, in this series between these two teams. And I still think Miami's going to the finals. I just didn't expect them to win game three in the manner that they won game three. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's stick with that theme of desperation. Uh, we talked about this earlier. I mean, you know, we both gave hats off to Juwan Howard for, uh, you know, choosing family over uh, being a part of the Lakers dysfunctional family uh, and coaching his sons at Michigan. So Darvin Ham, who's highly regarded, uh, Terry Stotts, who, of course, has a, a long record in Portland, uh, and Kenny Atkinson seem to be the finalists uh, with the Lakers. What's your read? I, I actually, I'll get a two for one here with the shot clock winding or with the game clock winding down. 
Um, uh, what's your read on the Lakers coaching search? But also, and this may mean nothing. I know everybody talks to everybody at the scouting combine, but there was just this report that the Lakers and Nets executives met. So I don't know if you're hearing anything around, around the perimeter on there with your sources or what have you, but just state of the Lakers, both in terms of head coach and what, if anything, they could do with that roster. I heard something really, really juicy over the past month, but it, it's so wild. I can only tell you off wax. <laughs> That's how bad it is. <laughs> Michael well, listen, can you can you can you tell us that we know we don't rec- we don't consider it reporting like you're not writing it. You're not yeah. reporting it. It's just you a, heard a, it's just rumor a rumor from yeah, somebody it's a rumor from somebody. No, we're not, we're not hold- this is not on your record, which I know you take seriously. This is not on your reporter record. If you share it with us, I, I, I will I will say this. And this is the closest thing I can give you guys to a clue is that maybe Juwan Howard steered away from the Lakers because he knows something about their personnel that we don't. That's all I'll say. Maybe he knows something that we don't about the long term or even short term plans of that roster and that personnel. Now, the Lakers, as I've told you guys before, if you look at if you look at, you know, the guys that they have, you know, Kenny Atkinson, Darvin Ham. Uh, Terry Stotts. It's not exactly a who's who, although I think Darvin Ham is going to be a really, really good head coach, and he's been groomed for that. And some of the success of the African-American head coaches, the, the first-time head coaches like Ime Udoka, should lead franchises to say, you know what, this is not taking a chance on these guys. This is presenting an opportunity to make our franchise better. So I would not be surprised if someone like Darvin gets his first chance. But it's not like they're they're bringing in the heavy hitters of the proven head coaches, which leads me always to believe the Lakers don't value head coaches in that way. Like, remember, they told Pat Riley to go. They told Phil Jackson to go two times. You know what I mean? So that lets you know how important that power structure, that bus family thinks of its head coaching position. They just think it's a guy who's going to be there as opposed to someone to lead the franchise. Now, as far as the Nets and Lakers talking, that sounds nice. But are you mean to, you mean to tell me that the Brooklyn Nets, if I'm to read the tea leaves on this particular report, that maybe the Lakers would take Kyrie Irving in exchange for Russell Westbrook? Do you are y'all trying to send Kevin Durant to Arkham Asylum for the last remaining few years of his prime? Is that what y'all are trying to do? I, I thought we want nice things for I thought I thought we want nice things for generational players. Why would you I'm wish you, Russell asking, Westbrook or Kevin Durant anything. again? I'm, not you, I'm just, just, asking, just basketball, I, public, oh, oh, basketball somebody? public. Well, hey, listen, man. I mean, arguably the most monumental trade of the last in the NBA season was one team's headache for another team's headache, and they both lost in the end, you know, involving the net. So I don't know. Right. Maybe it's just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's like, hey, man, y'all, maybe y'all could do something with him. You know what? You know what? Since, since, I don't know. <laughs> since, since, I'll, I'll, just, I'll leave you with this. This is a, one of my favorite Prince lyrics because it's a torture Prince lyrics on Strange Relationship. Never mm. can stand to see you happy. Wouldn't want to see you sad. That's how we think sometimes. Yeah. What's this strange I butchered relationship? That a little, I butchered chip, that a chip, little chip, bit, chip. but you no, get, you but you get oh, it. You always yeah, bring yeah. bars, but today was definitely, uh, today, today was definitely a day for the bars. Michael, you got to take out. That's a, that's a great. It was two days ago. That's a great. That's a great uh, way to drop. That's a mic drop. Fittingly enough, I don't. I don't know that we need to. Went from Biggie to Prince, right? Biggie and, to Prince. And Snoop, and Snoop, and Snoop no. in between. 
and Snoop yeah. in between. So that's y'all. pretty good. You know what the fifth crack commandment is with Vinny? You know all of you know all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Never get high on your own yeah. supply, right? No, that's four. Five that's is four, never selling a crack where you rest at. I don't care if they want an ounce, tell them bounce. Okay. okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Not that I would know anything firsthand about that. <laughs> Just you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Vinny, we love you. Oh, oh, he zipped it up. He zipped it up. That's one. Of, that's one of the correct commandments too. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is a lot bigger than just this one game or this series or this. This is huge for our franchise. Um, because none of you guys had us here. You guys were all supposed to be on vacation. Um, and, and yeah, I know. And and so it, it's cool to go through this. And we're going against, um, you can call them a dynasty. Um, I saw this in San Antonio where you, you go against, the, the, they have three great players who will be uh, all Hall of Famers. Uh, and this is a great lesson learned from us. This isn't, you know, the end this is just the beginning. I said this in the Phoenix series. If you guys recall, you guys got good memories. Um, that this is just this is the beginning of, of the journey. Michael C. Wright, I sound like it's the end of the series. I mean, that's no. our job to, to call <laughs> it a date to say it's a wrap. It's Steph's job to say night night. I mean, there was a little bit of resignation, a lot of resignation, dare I say, in Jason Kidd's remarks talking about uh, y'all didn't expect us to be here. I appreciate the candor, but typically it's like, hey, we got to get one at home and then try to get it back home is how coaches would usually look at it and say it not. Hey, we just happy to be here. We're ahead of schedule. Nobody thought we'd be here. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, how's how's that playing in the locker room? And do you sense and you're covering this series? You're joining us from Dallas. Do you sense that there is a level of resignation, especially after blowing that leading game too, uh, among the Dallas Mavericks themselves. Was he speaking truth there? No, that's what it sounds like. I mean, you know, he said it's the beginning of the journey, but to me it sounds like the end. Um, but I got to say this about Jason Kidd. If you go all the way back to the Western Conference semis when they got down 0-2 to Phoenix, Jason Kidd was saying the exact same thing. And, you know, one thing that I've sort of figured out about Jason is he's got the buy-in from that whole locker room. Those guys believe in him. They trust him. So, yes, on one hand, they are talking about, you know, hey, this is a new experience for us. We're learning. You know, we've got to play these games. Uh, Championships were never won by these teams right off the bat. You had to go through the good, the bad, the ugly, and learn about yourself and learn about your team. And so – that's been the message throughout the entire playoffs for him, for, for Jason Kidd. If you go back to the first round when they lost game one to Utah on their home floor, same thing. So, you know, I, I think that that message has been pretty pretty standard throughout the playoffs. And it does sound like resignation, 
but I, I think that's sort of a, a an outward thing. I think inwardly, you know, those guys are a bunch of dogs that want to get this thing, you know, get a game so they can at least go to Golden State and have a game five. But let me uh, let me play devil's advocate with myself. Is this a Jedi mind trick too? That's what I'm saying. An opportunity to keep these guys relaxed because okay, here's Luca. And, and, and Dallas, and while they may be playing with house money from the outside, they're at home trying not to get swept. Is this a way to say, hey, guys, look, man, nobody expected us to be here anyway. Let's just go out and play loose. We got nothing to lose. Everybody's already sure. crowned Golden State, talked about their dynasty. There's no pressure on us, even at home, to win a game against this group. Go out, because, I mean, they, they can't hit the broad side of a barn right now, you know, especially from three. Maybe is this a way of relaxing them to say, hey, play, you know, play free, play loose. You ain't got nothing to lose. You shouldn't be here anyway. Go win game four. We'll see what happens. Could it be that? To your point yeah, about having the pulse of this team. I, I think I think that is the case because again, they go down 0-2 to Phoenix. Same thing. It was the same thing. It was like this whole relaxing type of deal, like, hey, you know, none of you picked us to be here anyway. And the team is saying that. Like there are a couple of you know, our colleagues that work at ESPN and those guys are getting killed on a daily basis by the players. I'm serious. Like I, one of our colleagues was wearing a pair of uh, Adidas Stan Smiths and Tim Hardaway Jr. After they, they beat Phoenix, uh, when they, you know, got them, beat them on their home floor. He was like something about keep picking against us. And he talked about his bum ass Stan, Stan Smiths. And I was like, dang, man, you went to his shoes. I mean, like, I got to question their viewing choices, but that's neither here nor there. So their, cho- their choices in television are questionable. But anyway, you yeah, I'm not, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, not, that's neither here nor there. You know, I, you know, I'm petty. <laughs> oh, oh, me too. Trust me, <laughs> I am too. But no, it was you know like the the, the entire staff picked yeah. you know Phoenix to beat Dallas naturally, right. and those guys really took it personally. And I think that Jason Kidd in that locker room. He's telling those guys that nobody's picking you. Like you said, the Jedi, Jedi Maya trick. And, you know, so outwardly, they're, you know, they're playing this humble game and saying, hey, we're learning. This is just the beginning of the journey. And even last right. night after Luka Doncic was like a, what, something like minus 19, you know, he, he talked about it. He said, hey, I'm 23 years old, man. I'm still learning. And, you know, I've got to take him at his word. But at the end of the day, these guys are competitors, man. They want to win these games. Nobody goes out there saying, oh, well, we're, we're here. Uh, shoot, yeah. it's just good enough to be here. And I don't think that's the case for these guys. Do you think they'll win a game? Will the Mavericks win a game or are they about to get swept? Uh, Michael, I would say pull out the broom, my man. <laughs> and, you know, the, the one thing that's, really surprised me throughout this series is that against Phoenix, Jason Kidd made some some great adjustments. And, and, and I would say that those adjustments won them the series. You know, I, I like Phoenix used, would, would talk about, hey, we're a paint to great team. Well, Dallas was like, you know what? We'll take away the paint. Now you got to be great to beat us. And that's what they did. They shut down Chris Paul, shut down Devin Booker. And I haven't seen the same types of adjustments. And I, I'm sure that this is a case of, you know, different personnel with Golden State. You know, you've got three three future Hall of Famers on the floor, and you got another guy in Andrew Wiggins who is just balling. Like, all-star Andrew Wiggins showed up for this series, man. And 
So I, I think that that's been a, been an issue for them. They, they they just don't have the horses to run this race. You know, they all they have is Luka Doncic at this point. And I think that this is one of those sort of like an experiment to say to see if okay, we have this transcendent singular superstar. Can we win against the upper echelon of teams with just this guy, or do we do we have to get him some help? And I'm pretty sure this offseason. Dallas is going to do everything he can to get Luca that help. Luca has three yeah. games where he scored 40 or more in a loss, tied with LeBron in 09, Kareem in 77, and Jerry West in 65, Michael, for most in a single postseason. That's right. Yeah, and They're you know two what? and six. You know, two and six when he scores 40. So that's not a good thing. Oh, two. See, yeah. see, Michaels, that, that's why I believe that they're not necessary. I'm going to disagree with Jason Kidd. They say they're not at the beginning. I, I know he's talking big picture. They're not at the beginning because if you go back to the Warriors and they lost to the Clippers, I think in a seven-game yep. series in yep. 14. They had Clay, they had Steph, they had Draymond. They had their core. Their core was already in, in place. They, had, they changed their coach, but their core was there. Dallas does not have – if you run this back, you're not going like to get bottle. the same result, right? Right. Like they may have caught lightning in a bottle this year. Yeah, they yeah, no need, doubt about it. What would you say, Mike? Uh, Michael Wright? Would you say they need one more or two more? Because I, I, I'd be inclined to say they may need two more. Bodies. I would say two. I would say two. But number one, and like I, I got to be careful with how I word this. Um, but the, the biggest thing to me is they need to get a center. He, he doesn't have to be great. Run protection. Yes, he does not have to be great. Uh, get a rim running guy like a Clint Capella or somebody that's you know can catch those lobs and and Luka Doncic can kind of play that game that James Harden used to play with him in Houston, similar you know they're, they're similar styles or whatever, and that's number one that you you got to have a just a legit center now Dwight Powell is actually you know he's two years removed from a torn Achilles, he's been fine. But fine ain't good enough when you get to this level of competition. You know, you you need somebody that is going to stand out and, and take some of the pressure off Luca. And like you said, Mike, rim protection, that's a big deal. Yo, the last person I would want to see if I were Boston, and I got a, let's call it a must-win. It's not an elimination game, but let's just go ahead and, you know, borrow that cliche and call it a must-win game to avoid being on the brink of elimination at home is Jimmy Butler, who's going to play tonight. Mm. We'll see about Marcus Smart and uh, Robert Williams. I got I to gotta check the updates there to figure, figure out if they are uh, going to be active or not. But bottom line is, like, even though Boston's lost only two quarters through three games, they've lost two games. And I just wonder if Jimmy Butler is going to make them pay for that. I just wonder if they fooled around with, the, with this series a little mo- too much more than they should have. And blown it already, or am I underestimating once again Boston's ability to respond? How do you see that series? Do y'all know Ime Udoka? <laughs> that man don't play. Yes, that man yes, does right. not play. And I'm he telling you, I'm telling you, man, if that dude has to suit up himself to make things right, he's that type of dude. So I, I guarantee you. That he's got those, he's going to have those guys ready to play. He's going to make whatever adjustments need to be made, and you know, 
don't, don't expect them to turn over the ball. I don't know. I don't remember how many times they turned it over last game, but I know uh, Miami scored like 33 points just off those turnovers. That's the I ball know they game, got ripped man. 19 times. I know it was yeah, 19 steals. I know that and, number. And Victor Oladipo was looking like Marcus Smart out there. 24 <laughs> yeah, it was 24. But, yeah, so I, that's not going to happen again. Jason Tatum is not going to go out there and score 10 points and turn it over six times. That's not going to happen. You know, and for all the talk, you know, going into the season, like I, I, our brother, Mark Spears at Anscape, if you remember, he did this big story on, on Jason Tatum and about – how he's doing all this stuff to to get himself to the level where he's considered, you know, an upper echelon player, a, you know, a mainstay in the MVP conversation. Well, you've achieved that, Jason. Well, now you have to build on it. And this is where your reputation is made in the playoffs. I know Stinger or whatever, but he may said that the Stinger is pretty much gone and Jason is good to go. But he's not going to go out there and have another bad night. And I don't care how well Miami defends them. They're going to have answers. I promise you that. Like I, I, I would be shocked if Boston doesn't blow out Miami tonight. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, you took, I'd be took shocked. it to the opposite oh, extreme. Well, listen, and that's what yeah. this series has been, is a, is a, is a lot of blowout. But I'll tell you what, though, man. I could also see us sitting in tomorrow, Michael, having another uh, Jimmy Butler appreciation day. Yeah, I, that, that's you right. Know, no, no Tyler yeah. Hero. I know the yeah, knees inflamed and whatnot, but you know, I, I could I could see him bubble Jimmy Butler burst in that bubble too. I can see that. So happening. yeah, we gonna, we yeah. gonna see him uh, hunched over on the side of the the, the floor after the game. Energy this spent. This is time of year, the, man. This is time is, of year. He, he the type of dude that smells blood. Hey, he that type of dude. You know. Oh, I, he I is. Tell you Jimmy, this, Jimmy's I, a beast. Last thing I'll say for you, uh, uh, Michael Wright, is this. Uh, you you have made me uh, want to go back and be a beat writer just temporarily. Because what you said about Ime Adoka is 100%. Not only is Ime that dude who always who gets buying from his players, I can't imagine a more honest coach. Like, if you ask him, hey, what did you see out there? He does not hold back. He'll tell you exactly <clears throat> what he saw. Who was at fault, whether it was the first, the number one player or the 13th or 14th best player on the roster? He'll just tell you everything. He'll just tell sure. you exactly what he's thinking. I've never covered anybody like that. I like to cover him for a season or maybe a half a season. And then then the travel will wear me down, Mike, because I, you know, I don't uh, yeah, that well, life anymore. But. I, I'm not either. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not a beat guy anymore. But during my beat writing days when I was covering the San Antonio Spurs, I got to know E-Mail. You know, when he was an assistant with the Spurs, and that dude is intense, man. And I, and and Boston is going to sort of carry on that demeanor in this game. They're at home. They blew a they blew a great opportunity, you know, in Game Three. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, what was it like? They started the game out like uh, Miami was on like a twenty four seven run just to start that game. They got hit in the mouth, and. He made the type of dude that's going to get up and be ready to to, to fight again. I mean, he made oh. that dude, and I, I'm telling you, he's not going to let that team have another bad performance, especially at you know at the guard. That's not happening. I I, I the email Joker's preparation and the Celtics' focus and intensity is the least of my concern. But we all know Miami got some dudes too. They got some dogs. They do. Yeah, they do. Led led they by do. one of the best two or three coaches in the NBA. Led yeah. by one of the best competitors, the the number one pick of 
the number one pick of the I gotta win this game tonight draft <laughs> overall is Jimmy Butler. The one and one hey, pick I, I like it depends though. on it is Jimmy Butler. It's hard to call it because they fight. They have a lot of bios back call. in this series. But the Heat Listen, are beat down. I mean, like, they've got like four, four or five players tonight that are going to what, what was the, the tweet they put out? They're going to warm up with the intent to play. Uh, you know, and <laughs> yeah. PJ Tucker, yeah, PJ Tucker is a dog. I mean, Kyle Lowry is a dog, but those guys are, are yeah. beat up, and Jimmy's beat up they're too. So, dogs. They yes, dogs. they it's are. A, but you, do know, you know, yeah. Smart and Williams are going to play. What about them? That's uh, it's, it's an availability. No. It's a war of attrition. Right. I think they're questionable at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was looking at that. We'll see. Yeah, but we'll see. those guys are going to play. Eme is going to talk them into playing. Watch. Yeah. Telling you, man. You you guys are gonna learn about the power of Ime Udoka. I'm I'm, I'm oh, so... I already know about the power of I oh, had I to cover him in yeah, San Antonio yeah. to know about the or Boston <laughs> to know about the power of Ime Udoka, and I just leave that there. Ime Udoka yeah. has got my respect for life. That man, I, I, I'm so happy to see him <laughs> in Boston, man, because he you know he was interviewing and interviewing and interviewing for all these jobs, and nobody would give him a shot. He finally got it in, in just the right place. I mean, Boston is the right place for him. Oh, he, oh, he's already stuff, shot his shot and succeeded in life. He is one in life, and I won't go any oh, farther. Yeah. We, we, we Michael ain't going C. Right, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, we're not. No, we're not. We're not. I love you, man. Thank you. We love you. Appreciate you. All right, All right Mike. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, he just made a, you know, disrespectful comment. Uh, you know, basically was, you know, trying to call me Jackie Robinson. I was like, what's up, Jackie? Uh, you know, uh, I don't play like that. You know, I don't, I don't really play at all. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, bothering nobody today. But, uh, you know, he made a comment, and, uh, you know, it was, it was disrespectful. And uh, I don't think it was called for. It was unnecessary. That was when you guys crossed past the short stuff there at the end of the third. <laughs> yeah, but that happened in the first. The first time he got on, you know, and I spared him that time. Uh, and then it happened again. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just, you know, just uncalled for. You know, it's not, you know, I got time to, you know, be playing like that. How'd you manage to continue so based on that kind of comment? Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, you know, uh, it was very disrespectful, you know. But I just don't want to play like that. You call it disrespectful. Tony just said it was racist. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, same, same, same along that same line, yeah. Can you say what he said? Then? You said what? Can you say what, what he said? I just said it. I just said it. I just said it. Anderson there. You got any other questions? <clears throat> Nothing to say about that, Tony. Well, who are you with? Newark Star Ledger. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I talked to the Chicago Press because I don't. I don't uh, you made a racist comment, Donaldson, and that's all I'm going to say. Hmm. That's pretty strong. That's as strong as it gets. Oh. Is that in the third inning? The first thing. Do you hear me say that's all I'm going to say? You know what that means? That's all I'm going to say. All right, so 
first inning, I called him Jackie. So let me give you a little context of that. 2019, he came out with the interview and said that he's a new Jackie Robinson in baseball. He's going to bring back fun for the game, right? And 2019, when I played for Atlanta, we actually joked about that on the game. Um, I don't know what's changed from – and I've said it to him uh, in years past. Not, not in any manner – they're just joking around for the fact that he called himself Jackie Robinson, you know. Um, so, you know, if something has changed uh, from that, like my meaning of that is not as any term uh, trying to be racist by any fact of the matter. Um, it was just off of an interview that what he called himself. And when we said that before we joked about it, he laughed, whatever. Uh, as you could tell in our series that we played, there were multiple times where I tried to defuse the situation. Like I, I took responsibility for the tag, wasn't trying to do anything there. Like today, just trying to defuse it. Like hey, like make light. Like hey, we're not trying to start any brawls or anything like that. Um, obviously, he deemed that it was disrespectful. And look, if he did, I apologize. Like that's not what I was trying to do by any manner. Um, and, you know, that's really, that's what happened. Sounds about white, right? Uh, say it again. Sounds about white. <laughs> Mike, um, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot to uh, unpack there from the weekend. White Sox, uh, White Sox and the Yankees. Uh, going at it and Josh Donaldson you just heard him Josh Donaldson suspended one game for what Tim Anderson and what Tony La Russa said was a racist comment that he made joking around in Donaldson's words uh, calling Tim Anderson Jackie in reference to that article that was in Sports Illustrated Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson are not cool they're not close they're not boys and so even if they were, uh, it was something that Tim Anderson didn't want to hear. It's something that he didn't think was funny, uh, something that he didn't want to be said. And, and Donaldson doesn't understand what changed. Well, what changed is maybe the first time you joked about it, he may have given you the <laughs> one of those. You might Maybe you misread what he was trying to say to you, but when you continually do it, I think Tim Anderson finally had enough of what Josh Donaldson was putting down. But I got to tell you, before I pass it to you, I got to say I'm disappointed in Donaldson, obviously. And I'm disappointed in the fans at, at Yankee Stadium. Not all of them. But the fans who knew the story, who heard it, who heard it the night before, that Tim Anderson and Tony La Russa thought it was a racist comment. Mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson didn't. Hey, I apologize. I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. Let me give you context. They knew what was going on. The next day, they come back and they're chanting Jackie. Yeah. At Tim Anderson. Look, the laundry ain't that serious. The laundry's not yeah. that serious. Where you've got to be on the side of your players, even when they're dead wrong, or you got to yeah. make a joke where the other person doesn't think it's funny, and you kind of perpetuate it. 
A Yankees, uh, right. some Yankee. I keep saying that some Yankees fans. It's not everybody, but some Yankees fans right. at Yankee Stadium this year have been ridiculous. They did it with the Cleveland Guardian situation when they called him a crybaby after people threw yeah. things at him on the field. Yeah. Threw yeah. trash on the field where Yankees fans had to come out and rescue the Guardians player, tell the fans to stop. And in this case, they're joking about racism. Oh, well, that's well, how, that's really funny. Let's have a chat about at the racism. Expense of one of the, racism at the expense of one of the most important figures, not just players, one of the most important figures in American history, in Jackie Robinson. Um, that's why I say it sounds about white. Because I'm watching Josh Donaldson stand there in all his whiteness and all his privilege, and I know that's a triggering term for some people, so I use it with that intention just to trigger you. All his privilege and all his whiteness, daring to set the terms of what's disrespectful, of what constitutes racism. I would ask him first, what kind of sense of humor, what kind of twisted sense of humor do you have to have to think that calling him Jackie is a joke? What's up, Jackie? Right. Where is the humor in that? Because if you really want to give us the full context, then quote the article or teach us about Jackie Robinson. But nowhere, nowhere in anything Tim Anderson said when he said he felt like a modern day Jackie Robinson, was there room for you to joke about that, for you to play around with Jackie Robinson's name and Jackie Robinson's leg legacy and the lineage that t people like Tim Anderson carry on on behalf of number 42 in 2022. The only number retired across Major League Baseball, a guy that is right. as revered as anybody who has ever picked up a baseball in the history of America's pastime, quote unquote, okay? So for Josh Donaldson to think that he can just not only joke about Jackie Robinson, not only joke about Tim Anderson's feelings toward Jackie Robinson and the legacy that he's carry on, but also then mansplain or whitesplain, whatever you want to call it, the context behind it. And oh, well, I never meant to be racist. The only thing I was missing is I, I never, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I got black friends. I know black people. That was just a joke. And whatever changed, I can't tell you. Ain't nothing changed. You were wrong then and you're wrong now. Yesterday, just or, or two days ago, just wasn't a day for it. Yeah, just wasn't a day for it. It wasn't a time for yeah. it. And Tim Anderson looked at his watch and he had time that day, and he wasn't with the shits. And for Josh yeah. John Donaldson to sit there and try to explain it, like like there was some kind of other side to this, was ridiculous. Was well, absolutely he ridiculous. You, he tells you where he he's told on himself from. is he what he told you. us. He, right, he tells you where he's coming from with his, and he he, he pretty much did it again. He, he, so if you listen to his interview after the game, he's like, basically this guy compared himself to Jackie Robinson. Isn't that funny? Right. So th that's that that's what he Stay thinks. Stay out the conversation. He the Stay out yeah, the conversation. He thinks the joke. Either, either say nothing or say, hey man, right. I got a lot of respect for you. Or don't say nothing. But keep Jackie Robinson's name out your mouth. Period. He thinks he thinks it's a joke that anybody could be a modern day Jackie Robinson, an African American in this sport where the African American participation has had a sharp decline in Josh Donaldson's career. There's been a sharp decline and, in African American wait, participation. But you, don't, but you don't get to but you don't get to have an opinion about it. You know what it reminds me of reminds me like, well, how come you can say the N-word, but I can't? Why do you want to? Well, he compared himself to Jackie Robinson. That's crazy to me. Who asked you? This doesn't concern you. Stay out of it. Leave Jackie Robinson out of it. Go sit down and think about it for a one game. Have all the seats in Yankee Stadium. 
It's ridiculous. Well, here, let me provide you with some context. Man, shut up. Like, I'm sure you're the same way. I don't often brag about the people I know, especially in sports. I kind of sort of take it for granted. But I don't go around telling people like, oh, I know him or I know her. I'd be bragging that I know Candace Parker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, because it's just somebody I'm just happy Rightfully to so. say that I know. No. First of all, um, she has, she's the oldest player in WNBA history with a triple-double. But now she's only the third player in WNBA history to have multiple career triple-doubles. And if that wasn't a good enough day for messing around and getting a triple-double, now she's one of Time's 100 most influential people, and deservedly so. Just welcome a new baby into the family. She has a beautiful family. I love everything about Candace Parker. Yeah, you know, won the championship last year in her hometown. Does a right. great job. One of the premier analysts uh, in the nation in the basketball perfect. community. She's perfect. So, I'm going to find a shout flaw out Candace, Candace Parker. Parker. Let me call Candace and ask her if she got a flaw. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.